Hi, my name's Steve and I love people who make things. On the factory next door, we don't just meet the makers, we go through their factory gates. Hello Lynn, how are you? Hello Steve. And what an extraordinary, extraordinary workshop. Each episode focuses on one beautifully made piece and the person behind it. My poor son, he jokes about it now. You used to make me sleep in a suitcase. We never argue. Sure we have a bit of a, yeah, we have tense moments. <laughs> Join me. Let's go travelling. Welcome to the factory next door and to Covent Garden in central London. For those of you who know this place, I'm actually just sat on the cobbled stones just outside the London Transport Museum. I'm here actually picking up a gift because this week we are celebrating the British Made Museum gift. Now that's probably not something you instantly think of when you think of British made goods but trust me the makers were off to meet for this episode collaborate with some of the world's most famous art galleries and museums to create stunning fabrics works of art in themselves think scarves bags cushions and uh, they've actually just done a project with the transport museum celebrating 160 years of the London underground more of that in a little bit uh, but whilst I head across town to meet the makers, have a listen to what's coming up in the show. We like colour. the challenge of odd colours, colours yeah. that on their own you might think, well, that's not a very attractive colour. 20 odd years ago, manufacturing was a dirty word, everybody was offshoring. When the exhibition's on and you designed it months ago and you go to the private view, then you do sort of think, gosh, that's quite amazing. We, were no? so, we weren't friends, we were very different. Friendship groups back then. Yes. You are now, though, right? What? Yes. yes. Pop yes. in the camera. Pop in the camera. Welcome to Clerkenwell. This corner of London, uh, very well known for its design studios. Uh, it actually hosts a design festival here every year, which is hugely popular. Uh, I'm actually sat at a crossroads, diagonally opposite me. I've got a uh, old dairy shop, actually, which looks like it's been turned into a very nice antique furniture shop. Across from that, we've got a wallpaper shop, which looks very, very expensive, but very, very nice hand-printed wallpapers. Um, um, I'm at a deli, uh, which I can tell you is very nice. And just across the road, the fourth and final corner shop is a white building uh, and in the window it proudly says we love colour and that is the design studio of Wallace Sewell. Hello I'm Emma Sewell I'm half of Wallace Sewell and I'm Harriet Wallace-Jones and I'm the other half so I'm the Wallace and Emma is the Sewell. Excellent it's in the name. It's in the name. Ring. <laughs> <laughs> so you're um, obviously renowned for beautiful, colourful designs that you get woven. And you've done a number of commissions with art galleries, working on some amazing kind of exhibitions. When I look at some of the artists you've had to take inspiration from and create beautiful designs from their work, Degas, Hepworth, Lowry, Matisse, Turner, I want to get straight in here. Do you ever find that slightly intimidating? I think um, there was one where it was it, it felt quite a challenge. So, you know, often we're working from paintings 
So there's obviously visual, colour, you know, there's composition. We can take that sort of abstract, that composition and the colours and the textures and make them into a piece of fabric. When the Tate came to us and said, OK, it's the Barbara Hepworth, loved her work, but it's, it's sculpture. And it's very different, but it was a really exciting project in that we moved away from a sort of lamb's wool scarf that we often use as a base for this type of project and designed a new cloth for them. And it, it kind of went back to the sort of roots of, sort of what I was very passionate about when I was studying at college in that it was an organza fabric. So it's transparent. It was two layers. It was about this idea of um, sort of transparency and solidity and seeing through the fabric and just then very delicate lines to represent the sort of taut wires in her work. And it was actually a real joy to mm. do. Um, but when they first said we were so, OK. When the exhibition's on and you designed it months ago and you go to the private view, then you do sort of think, gosh, that's quite amazing. Without being too conceited, you think, you know, this is an iconic painter, designer, and we've designed the scarf mm. to go into the shop. So that's the moment, I think, when you realise the sort of gravity um, that this is something really quite special. Give me a bit of a history of Wallace Sewell. So we actually met <clears throat> um, on our first degree, which is at Central School of Art, now Central St Martins, and we were both studying textiles. And there, to start with, you would study printed textiles, knitted textiles and woven textiles. And we both chose to specialise in woven textiles. We weren't friends. We were no. saying, we weren't friends. We were in very different friendship groups back then. You, yes. you are now, though, right? What? Yes. yes. Apart yeah. from the campaign. Apart from, Apart from the campaign. campaign. <laughs> um, and, um, and then we... And actually, that, that was brilliant. There was, there was some particular tutors we had there. Mm. I love the word structure. So in these lectures, <laughs> Emma would be at the front. You know, she was at the front, hand up. Yes, yes, yes. I, know and the I was at the back, probably having a fag. I can't remember. <laughs> at all. But I, I think probably I was much more... Um, you were very structural, very academic about your approach to the structure of weaving, yeah. which was, you know, and you took it all in. I was much more um, working on the loom, directly designing, playing around colour, composition, yeah, painting, on the loom. painting on the loom. As time's gone on, we are not frightened of colour, whether it can be unbelievably sort of bright garish colours or it can be muted, it can be more subtle colours. All colour works. It's just how you get it to work. Mm. And my tutors on foundation were painters and they were. it was all about, um, you know, everything was about proportion and then saturation and how colours play against each other. And and you and I now can make any palette. Someone can give us anything, which I hope it doesn't sound too sort of, oh, we could do it. But then we, you know, no, no, we can I think, just I look at colour. But we like colour. the challenge of odd colours. Colours yeah. that on their own, you might think, oh, that's not a very attractive colour. No. Well, that's quite a difficult colour. And it's just all about balancing. Mm. And, you know, I in my head... When we're putting together a group of colours, I see it's a sort of balancing sort of process almost of, as you say, the saturation, the mm. brightness, the tone. Is it light? Is it dark? Mm. Is it from the warm side of the wheel or the cool side? Mm. You know, and it's it, it's almost again a bit like music. Yes, you know, totally. I think it's like balance. You know, when you're 
creating a piece of music it's all about balance and, and rhythm is and it loud is mm. it quiet mm. light yeah. and dark is there a color that you keep finding yourself being drawn to bring in maybe it's like in, in when you're creating music maybe it's like the drums it's something that can just be used to so with now there's four of us who design um, in the team, we all have our little pet. You know, when we're putting the collection, we're like, oh, Ingrid's got to have that in there. Or, you oh, know... The... Oh, I know. She'll put blue with that. She'll put blue with that. <laughs> and it's and it's sort of like a little pet. And then the, the four of us will sort of say no or yes. And what we would find is that we'd be literally just playing around with a collection of colours. And then we would say, that's an amazing colour. We need to have it in there. But it wouldn't sell. But we just needed that colour in there to make the collection work. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit, I mean, I suppose it's a little bit with like all sorts of things. I'm sure that within fashion, whatever, when you've got a collection of garments, there might be one colorway that never works, but it works within the group. And so, it, it sort of offsets everything else and brings mm. everything else to life. So, yes. you know, each year we design a new scarf collection that's up to about 50 pieces. We might still do one that's a bit bright, bit odd, but it it keeps it looking Wallace Huel in some ways, mm. and it will sort of draw people over to look at that, and then they might go, actually, I'll, I'll choose that. I mean, obviously, we are restricted by the colours that come in the shade cards because we, we very rarely dye our own colours because when we first left college, we did all of that because that's what we did at college. We learned how to dye, and we were always dyeing. We were encouraged to dye our own colours. But then, obviously, when we get to the stage that we are now and the size of our production you want to be taking stock colors which come off a shade card so you know and it's expensive if you use all you know whatever 150 of those shades so we have to keep it as much as possible just for the just for the uh the logistics of how we work to a certain amount of colors so we do find sometimes you're working around the same little group of colors um, and sometimes it's like, can't we just bring in, you know, we argue with each other about, can we bring in some new colours? Uh, but it's expensive to do it. So that's mm. that's a practical restriction. And going back to the restrictions, that we have to stick within the colours that um, the shade cards come in. Or or there's somewhere we do dye colours. But yes. again, there's, there's a few sort of um, groups of yarns that we use that we do still dye. But then that is a massive investment to sort of suddenly bring another one because yes. you kind of need to use up something else that. so that the mill isn't holding on to the yarn for you can i ask about arguments between the two of you <laughs> i think we never argue i mean i have to say yeah. we, we have a, i'm sure we have a bit of a yeah we have tense mm. moments every mm. now and then uh, but we never argue and i'm sure that's to do with the fact that so we started the business very much like that side by side it wasn't one starter we're very 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 different character wise um, and but initially, yes, we weren't a partnership. We weren't a lim we weren't no. a limited company. We were two sole traders, trading under our name, and doing our own thing, but working alongside. And you know, in the early days, it it worked so well. As Harriet says, our styles of designing was very different, very much sort of connected through our use of color and our love of color. Mm. Um, but then, you know. Harriet would be designed. We'd, we'd sit at us in our studio and designing our own co little mm. collection, and going, "What do you think about that?" Mm, I don't like it. Mm, 
I'm going to do it anyway. Um, whereas so, now it has to be that we do have to we have get to the agree. full agreement of the, the team. And but, I'm sure I mean, we would both agree <laughs> that we drive each other mad at times. I'm sure we do. But what we, we have got, I mean, again, without being too conceited, we've got a fantastic relationship that we managed to sort of, we've worked... We've worked out how our business works. And yes, there are areas that things grow in different directions and then we one of us might have an idea about something, but we communicate very well. Mm. And um, the fact mm. is that the two of us have kept each other sort of, you know, focused on areas. And, and we've had very, very lean times where it'd be like, we need to get some more work. And you and I will then mm. brainstorm and go out and get work. Um, so it's actually more recently that now, you know, there are parts of the business that you and I actually don't know how that works because we don't have to do it anymore. Oh, no, no. Don't, don't tell anyone that. <laughs> no, but on the more logistic, you know, on yeah. the more um, day-to-day, right, you know, we would do everything. And it was quite interesting recently. We brought the team down from the mill and we all went through our job spec as it were and I gave a little talk on how Emma and I started and I would hope that they were slightly sort of oh my goodness we did everything you know yeah. from the cutting the labeling the packaging we were up till midnight because there was nobody else so it's almost you know reiterating that the, the whole the whole plethora of what our company does we did everything mm. and now we can delegate yes <laughs> um Let's um, let's hear from them, actually. So, is it much of your fabric or all of your fabric which is woven? It's pretty much all of our fabric. We do the occasional project mm. with another mill if we need to weave jacquard for something. Because Lance can't do jacquard. But our core collection, all of it, from heavy chenille, chunky lambs wool, fine organza, all of it is woven there. So, so most of your fabric is woven mm. by mill, which is 185 miles up north. Have you yes. worked that out? That's very. Yes. I quickly googled that <laughs> and I as I came in, um, and a few days ago I popped up to Meatlands. Um, have a listen to this. So I come to the very edge of the Yorkshire-Lancashire border, driven down quite a narrow, windy country road for a while and now I'm stood next to a bubbling stream you can probably hear it in the background and next to that stream is a stunning old stone mill painted grey on the outside and the factory door is a lovely vibrant green let's head in my name's Lance Mitchell I'm a director at Mitchell Interflex a family-owned fourth generation weaving company where we're in County Brookmill which sits on the old border between Lancashire and Yorkshire so the stream that fed the water wheel was the county boundary I can't remember when they moved it in the 70s they moved the county boundary although if you go into the local town if you go into Barn Oswick they still believe they're Yorkshiremen built as a mill we're told although there's no uh, no evidence for it particularly that it was about 1786. We as a family came here, my great-grandfather came here in 1905. The fact that you're fourth generation, do you find that added responsibility or do you take comfort from the history? Um, it's, it's a combination of both. You take comfort from the history. Um, but it does feel like a bit more added responsibility that you don't want to be the generation that, that kind of blows it all. 
here we're lucky as well that we've had a fantastic workforce. You know, we've people that have worked here multi-generations as well. Um, and, you know, there's a little board, there's a little board outside that says how many gold watches have been given out at 25 years and, you know, people that have worked here 40 years or 50 years. I'd love to see that board. I'll show you it on the way. Oh, you're recording as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. a bit sneaky. <laughs> Tell me that. So we've got a, uh, a picture up on the wall here, Long Service Awards. Top of the list there, we've got 50 years service, Alfred Howarth. Does Alfred still work here? He retired. He retired. Then was so bored sitting at home, he asked if he could come back to do a bit of work and came back and, they, and he just continued doing bits of work, did, uh, did Alf. But he, he died in, in one of the workshops. He was standing. He, he was standing, leaning on the brush that he was supposed to be sweeping up with, when he keeled over. Did Alf? So uh, he was. He was part of the fixes and fittings. What am I looking at here? That's a Wally Sewell lamb's wool throw. It's a a beautiful mix of colours. That's Wally Sewell's trademark. They use they use a lot of colour. And there's another machine over there that's set up with a lot of colour in for Wally Sewell. How many, how many machines am I looking at here? In here, about 20 machines in here. There seems a whole range of ages. Some look quite new. And, yeah. and some of them, like the ones here, I mean, it's a beautiful kind of sage green colour. These look like they might be a little bit older. What kind of age range of the machines have we got here? We're ranging from... The oldest is probably about 20 years, the newest is a year. So, so there's a, got to be a constant program of, of, of replacing machinery and updating your machinery. How much would a machine like that cost then? Oh, the latest one, you're looking at about anywhere between 100,000, 150,000. Textiles is capital intensive. Every piece of equipment is an expensive piece of kit. So I sometimes think as an industry, we don't, we don't shout loud enough sometimes as to the, the variety of product and the other industries that rely upon textiles. I'm sure if you say to anybody, textiles, it's curtains, it's clothing, and it doesn't really go beyond there. I, 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 use, the, I use the examples of, you know, when they close the roof at Wimbledon, Nobody looks up and goes, oh, look, that's a textile product, but it is a woven textile product. Recently, you know, the Mars lander, they've just put a, a craft on, on the surface of Mars. That parachute that opened was woven in, in the UK. It was woven in the UK for NASA. Whenever you hear the words in engineering composites, the, the basis of a composite, nearly always, a textile product. Have, have we neglected manufacturing in this country? Yes. Yeah, manufacturing 20, 20 odd years ago, manufacturing was a dirty word. Everybody was offshoring. It was it was the thing to do. To you could buy it cheaper, and you could import it cheaper, and transport was cheap. There's this awful phrase that they call reshoring. You know, we're we're bringing it back. Um, those of us that are still here never went anywhere. Are you proud to be a maker in Britain? Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Um, 
and I think if you talk to anybody that's that's making something, there'll be a there'll be a, a little bit of pride there that you go, you're still making things. Um, Len, thanks so much for talking to me. Pleasure, pleasure. Oh, Good well questions. Good yeah. questions. Yeah. What was the one that we really both? Uh, oh, oh, yes, the pressure of um, being a fourth generation because mm. you've got a lot to live up to. We met. Uh, Lance through adversity so we had been uh, weaving at another mill in Todmorden in 2000 and there were the floods of Todmorden and the mill we were weaving at which little sort of one man band with one wasn't guy helping insured. wasn't insured the kit got flooded you know the looms went down the electricity went down couldn't get it back up so they, we had our very small at the time but production wrapped around beams for the looms got wet and we had like a week to sort of try and work out what we did. And we went on a road trip and we'd quite often used to do these road trips to meet new mills and introduce mm. ourselves. And we basically went round, I think, uh, Yorkshire, Lancashire and the borders, going to mills, going, hi, we're Wallace Seal. We make really complicated fabric <laughs> on fairly small scale. Will you take Would you us like, on? Would you take us on? <laughs> Mostly. No. 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 <laughs> but Lance, to give him his due, He's, you know, at the time he's saying, well, I was looking to diversify our business. You know, that whole thing of he was saying he could buy fabric that they were making an equivalent of mm. cheaper imported from outside of the UK mm. on the Manchester market. Yeah. Selling retail than he could make it. And it's like, well, I need to do something else. We turned up on his doorstep and we were teasing about this. You know, and he was like, yeah, I could do that. And he did have the right looms. He had the right capability, you know, and he was very sort of up for a challenge little did you know how much of a challenge it was to start with he did he and, came and rescued I mean, literally and he basically came and drove us. over in the white van picked up the beams got them dried off we saying, came over the hill like a knight in shining armor <laughs> um and got them dried got them wound so they were suitable for his looms and then started off weaving in those uncomfortable days were you ever tempted to go offshore? No. No. And actually, interestingly enough, it's totally, an, it's something we've never even considered, not because of, um, uh, mainly because of the fact that we are, with when we work with commission weavers, we're still very much in control. So everything that we do until the last minute, we have given them all the information and therefore... Um, they literally just sort of, a well, little bit more than this, but they virtually just press the button and weave. And it's absolutely, it's never, ever been mm. even an issue. I mean, I think when we first started, we didn't sit down and say, right, this is our manifesto and ticked all these boxes. It just was the way that we developed mm. and we worked. And we wanted also, maybe subconsciously, we did also want to be very much involved. So we are still so involved in what happens at the mill mm. and we go up there and, and now we obviously have an extended team um but it was never even a consideration can i ask you about perfection so in this show i've got the huge pleasure of going and meeting people who are who are chasing perfection on a particular item creating the very best particular item they're learning the skills over years to create whether it's the perfect custom motorcycle or the perfect bag is pursuing perfection fun or frustrating are we pursuing perfection i think i think in a way 
I guess we are in design in that we're always pushing ourselves to create something new, you know. Mm. In a way, with the business and our product line, we get a bit bored and we sort of think, oh, we want to create something completely new and give ourselves a new challenge and work within the parameters that we might set ourselves to, you know, how can we design something? So it's, I guess, as you know, we're still very much designers and creators. You know, it's mm. not just stepping back and it's about having a business. Yeah. It's, it's, you know... All of us, but, you know, certainly you and I still, you know, we've just um, launched an upholstery range and it's like it had been burning in the back of our brains for quite a while as, as an idea. And it's like, look, let's just let's just do it. And, you know, sometimes these things don't survive. Sometimes they do then go on and build into a mm. major part of the collection. So I think I would say perfection is almost as woven designer you know mm. it's we're still finding new things to do as designers within the realm of weaving and we are i mean it, it we don't we, we are we're quite good now at having economical design discussions because that's how we have to be there has to be a finite point where you have to say yes good to go but i would say that we spend quite a lot of time going little bit no that's proportion you know talking about the proportions yes. that needs to go there yeah and we can spend a lot of time getting that to the point that we think we have perfected that color palette that proportion that scarf yeah. that collection so yes i mean perfection is very very important in that scale uh, on that point but i think in the sense of what is totally nothing is ever totally finite is no. it i think i have to ask about the iconic work you do for the London Underground. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about that? How many years have we been doing it now? 2007 Seven, was our I first think was year. was the Overground. was the Overground. So the, the fact that we are designing within the public arena is just absolutely wonderful. I think probably Emma and I, deep in our souls, it was um, a bit of a dream mm. to design. I think at college, people were always sort of saying about, are oh, you designing for the top end of the market, the higher... To design for something utilitarian mm. was not actually a particularly fashionable thing to do. So actually, the fact that we now have done various designs for TFL and transport fabrics is just wonderful. Something that people actually use every day, something that people actually, I would say... If they don't really notice it, then it works. You know, they sit on those seats every single day and actually they, it, it works. They live it with it. It doesn't jar. It no. doesn't sort of make them go, oh, that's awful. You you, you've designed the seats, haven't you? The fabric Our on the fabric seats for, the for seats. lots yeah. of London underground yeah. lines. Yeah. I should say, unfortunately, the fabric is not made in the UK <laughs> anymore. <laughs> we've done underground, overground, the tram. The, the tram, yes. And then we've done the Elizabeth line. I think Emma and I take a lot of pride in the fact that we are following in that sort of the footsteps of all those incredible, you know, Eden Marks, Marianne, um, Marianne Dawn. Dawn, you know, Marianne Straub, uh, Misha Black, and all those designers that were commissioned to design for Transport for London. I just want to pick up just very briefly there on the point about the kind of the utilitarian design. I think you described it. I mean, you know, these these designs that you've you've made for London Transport, three to four million set on that every day mm, I know. yeah fantastic I know and as I say just to reiterate you know with Emma and I you know you, you we, we've talked about it a lot and that sort of you know how many people go in obviously we do but how many people go down into the tubes or the trains and actually really 
um, question what's there. And so I think that we've learned that actually the non-questioning means that aesthetically it really works. People will always say, oh, I don't like that. They will always find things that they don't like. But when something works and the way that they've also done the Elizabeth line, I mean, it's the architecture, some mm. of those stations are phenomenal. Yeah. And the way that they've designed it and the whole package works in a very, very utilitarian way. I mean, it just functions. Is there a commission or a project that you kind of would like to land on your table? <gasps> Not to do with transport, anything. Anything. Oh, gosh. Well, one thing I've all, I, I think you two, we, we often um, talked about we'd love to do some designing for um, you know, aeroplane designs. I mean, that would be fantastic yes. to work um, with British Replin or what was British Replin. But I think, yeah, in the early days, we both did some projects where we almost did large scale bits of weaving for sort of art pieces for offices mm. and things like yeah. this. And I think that working on a different scale, mm. you know is really interesting and exciting in that sort of monumental scale. Going full circle, when we first um, worked together, you know, that was me and then that was Emma. And we would then... Uh, very different styles Very different styles. Terribly. We exhibited together. Nobody knew that we were two separate sole traders, but the fact that our work sat side by side really, really comfortably... Um, really I, I mean that is how we've managed to fuse together and sort of come out you know we've crossed over enormously mm. so when we're designing mm. you know we still say yeah I think I think this stripe that wants to be a bit of an Emma Emma stripe or no we'll do it in a bit of a Harriet way so mm. we you know there's still things that one could identify mm. as styles of designing but I think you know we were so lucky that it happened I don't mm. think either of us would have set up a business on our own it's far too no. challenging but the fact that we happened to things just sort of pushed us together kept going and kept going um i think we've been really true to what yes. we are, as designers believe and feel and are passionate about yes um so you know i think that's been very very important final question interestingly picking up just what you said there is that perhaps what you're most proud of staying true to what you first wanted to achieve. Yes, I, I think so. And the transport fabric. And we never sat down and said, this is what we want to do. But when we applied to the Crafts Council for our setting up grant, we did have to actually think through what we were trying to achieve. So I think those early days, we, we, we have stuck very, very true mm. to how we, how we design and how we believe. Well, the... The Harriet Stripe and the Emma Stripe obviously sit very well together <laughs> and very successfully. Thank you both for talking to me. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank yes, thank you, you very much. It feels only right that we should finish this week's show sat on a Wallace Sewell design. My thanks to Harriet and Emma for chatting to me. Thanks to you for listening. Do join us next week.